Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hello and welcome to Excellence Expected. My name, as ever, is Mark Asquith. Now, this week I'm joined by a guest with whom we've actually done some work together and, you know, it's a really interesting kind of subject matter that we're going to talk about today. And it's all around the ownership of company social media accounts. We've all seen press in the past where social media has kind of gone wrong for big businesses. And what we're here to talk about today is how you, as a small business owner or a medium-sized business owner, can start to really define who, who actually owns your company social media so that you can actually avoid some of those, <laughs> some of the problems that we are going to talk about later. And with me this week is actually, as far as I know, one of the only, if not the only, specialist digital lawyers in the United Kingdom from Digital Law UK is Mr. Peter Wright. Welcome. Thank you very much indeed, Mark. Thank you for asking me onto the show. It's a pleasure. It's, uh, I mean, we've worked together in the past, haven't we, Peter? And it's, yeah. it's, the content that we're going to talk about today is really, really interesting. It's something that I think a lot of people kind of are aware of on the periphery, but don't really understand the importance of it. And we're going to talk about some, some examples of it later, aren't we? But yes, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's something that I guess you come across quite a lot. <laughs> a lot. And as you say, there are a lot of high profile examples out there in the media. So you tend to sort of see the occasional thing and you tend to see, well, I can see what goes wrong there, but how do I really get around that? And that's what we'll drill into a little bit today. Absolutely. And I imagine it. And again, we are going to get to this. I would imagine it's the old, that'll never happen to me. <laughs> exactly. And you always think that, but it, it's interesting when you look at some of the examples, it can be actually the, the, the smaller, medium-sized businesses that really struggle. We'll also look at a few of the high-profile ones that have had a few problems as well, of course. <laughs> That's really interesting. So yeah, yeah, we're going to get to the meat of that in a while. But for now, tell us a little bit about Peter Wright. Where did you come from personally and what led you to being Digital Law UK? Uh, well, I'm a solicitor qualified in England and Wales, and uh, I... A few years ago, I was doing a lot of work uh, actually advising the UK government on uh, data protection and food of information issues, and we're having to do this on a, on a vast scale. And the more that I started going into the ins and outs of the Data Protection Act in detail, uh, I realised its importance, uh, particularly in relation to the developing world of social media, uh, big data, the fact that um, a business's capital is the data it stores, the personal data relation to clients, contacts, all that sort of stuff. And I could see that in terms of the way that business and commerce was developing, that this really is the future and that there weren't really many law firms out there that offered clear, practical advice for businesses on how uh, to navigate through the, uh, the rather confusing um, uh, legislation and guidance that is out there in terms of what you should be doing when you're doing your business online. So that's why uh, earlier this year we uh, set up Digital Law UK, which is the only uh, law firm in England and Wales um, that actually focuses solely on what we call digital law, which is data protection, social media law, privacy, security, and uh, making sure that a, a business is safe from a uh, cyber perspective when it's doing its business online. And it's such a valuable service. I mean, at, at the agency, DMSQD, just for the guys listening out there, we're sat in DMSQD's offices. It's rare that we get, <laughs> when I'm running a podcast episode for Excellence Expect, it's rare that we get to sit in the studio. And just being sat here, you know, this is a room that we've done business in together and it's a room where as an agency, we've really struggled to find someone to help clients with that digital law side of things. And 
the more that we do together, the more that our clients need your work as well. So I can see mm. actually that what you're doing there is so, so valuable for people. Is it something that I guess businesses generally are starting to see as more and more important? You find yourselves getting busier because people are becoming more aware of it. Yes. And the, an awful lot of our work comes from people who are either setting up or re, uh, re, re, you know, putting together their websites again and realizing that they need to have um, up-to-date documentation, privacy, social media settings on there. Uh, and sometimes they'll actually, it's only when we actually start talking to them that they actually realize that there could be uh, a risk there um, in relation to how data is being stored, managed, etc. And then um, what's really interesting is when you then sit down and start looking at some of the uh, the social media issues along the line of what we're going to be talking about today that very often people haven't really thought of or have thought, well, yes, that's an issue, but aren't really clear on how to get around that. that yeah, that, and I would imagine that's actually becoming quite prominent because, you know, when it comes to website redesign, redevelopment or e-commerce, e we're working on an e-commerce uh, website together mm -hmm. and when you think about the software that's out there, the portals that are out there, you know, the, the web is becoming it's becoming more ingrained into everything we do. And it's not just websites and e-commerce that people are doing now. And I would imagine that the more and more that comes to the fore, the more that businesses see what income they can make online through other avenues, not just their own website, the more the need for quality policies, quality documentation, quality coverage. It's, it's just going to continue to grow, isn't it, surely? Yes. And very often we're sort of called in as well, where you'll find a business has thought, oh, well, we'll just put together a privacy policy and we'll, we'll take the one from another site that we've seen somewhere. And of course, that isn't fit for purpose. It doesn't relate to uh, the data that's taken on that site, the cookies that are in use on it. It doesn't comply with um, the uh, the current laws in England and Wales. And uh, that's where you're just setting yourself up for a very big fall. Um, similar thing when it comes then to terms of service on a site. You know, They have to be there so you can rely on them in the event that there is a issue between you and a customer or client. And it's not just something that can sort of sit there and gather dust. It's something that's going to potentially help both parties further down the line. So it's in everyone's interest to make sure the thing is workable, not necessarily just written in legalese, that it actually does do what it needs to, what it says on the tin, really, let's face it. And I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Making sure that you're not just copying and pasting our privacy policy or a terms of service from somewhere mm. that you believe provides a similar service, but actually is much, much different in terms of how it runs. So... That leads us on nicely, actually, to, I guess, defining the problem and, and the issue that we're here to talk about today, which is that ownership of, I guess, company social media. Um, so why is the, def the definition, why is defining who owns that company social media so important to a business, and especially a small and medium-sized business? Um, I think it's important to have it clearly set out at the start in terms of if you're going to go onto social media as a business, how that's going to operate. And the risk comes from um, where particularly in a smaller enterprise, you may find that people aren't clear in terms of who owns this thing. Um, or let's face it, the business may think, well, we own this, but then finds it can't do an awful lot if something happens. And an example of that is we had one client um, that uh, is in the recruitment industry where, of course, social media, in particular things like LinkedIn, are very important to them. So they had opened up and got onto Twitter very early. They got onto LinkedIn very early. And they were then a bit upset when one of their employees who had been running the Twitter account had got it up to about, I think they're up to about five figures in terms of the following, all organically grown. So they hadn't just done the, you know, right, let's go and buy a few thousand Twitter followers. Uh, a lot of interaction that they were doing, they, they were, I mean, this is as well, I'm, I'm going back a few years. So obviously Twitter is all prevalent now. 
Um, but they had, as I say, been an early adopter and put a lot of effort and work into this. They were then very upset when that employee, who had progressively become more senior, disappeared um, away for their honeymoon uh, and then just sent a letter with their key card in it um, at the conclusion of that honeymoon saying, thanks very much, um, been a lovely few years, but I'm going to set up my own new business. And they then took the Twitter account, rebranded it to their business, I putting a new handle onto it, which you can do, uh, and basically stole that business's Twitter account and used it for their own purposes. And at that point, um, the, that particular agency got in touch with me and said, what on earth can we do about this? And the answer is, make sure you've got a clear social media policy in place. And indeed, we also ended up putting protections in there so that uh, in their contract of employment now for that business, it's quite clear um, that it makes it clear that the corporate social media account is the property of the business um, and that they are exerting that ownership on it. That it is clearly theirs uh, and this, therefore it can't be nicked. And the, the penalty uh, is it then becomes an issue like a restrictive covenant. So you'll probably be familiar with employment contracts where they say, right, for you know a year or two after the conclusion of your employment, you can't um, work for a competitor within a, such and such a radius of a business. That's quite a common one. Another one is to say you can't approach our existing clients, that sort of thing. Um, for a period of time, usually about 12 months, 18 months, depending on the organization. Um, and in the same way, we've then tied in for uh, this client the fact that they can then control and say, right, you are not able to um, take with you our corporate social media account. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, that, that, that's a key element there. So it's actually giving you the protection. So in the same way that you could go after someone for a breach of restrictive covenant for as I say, approaching one of your own clients within a set period, you can do the same thing should they try and take um, the corporate Twitter account in that instance. Um, so that, that, that's certainly one, I think, quite practical example of um, where immediate damage can come in um, by it not measures not having been taken to really apply any measure of ownership or control to a social media account in that instance. That's really curious. I mean, you know, when you put it all together, it's so powerful. You think about, the, as you say, the effort that goes into building up a Twitter following, a LinkedIn network, a Facebook following, whatever that may be, the effort that goes into that, it's not a quick thing to build up that genuine interaction. And in the example that you just gave there, if you think about it in today's terms, that would be a huge impact to the marketing on that business, wouldn't it? And it's, it's not something to shirk away from. It's something that we all need to be aware of. And one of the things that I just wanted to, to pick up on really is, why do you think people don't really consider this? Is it because it's social media and perhaps they don't see it as this tangible, contractual platform? Or is it something else? Is there any reason that people don't take this as seriously as, seriously as they should do? I, I think one of the big issues is that people just haven't um, come across it as a real issue. I mean, the reason that you have these restrictive covenants is that, you know, for years people did get brassed off with people approaching, <laughs> having their clients poached and things like that. It can still happen despite the restrictive covenants being there. But that doctrine developed over time because of that risk. We're looking here at technology that's only been uh, prevalent within our society, really, for four, between four and five years. And therefore, people are still getting to grips with how it applies, how it's controlled, um, and how it can be used to benefit business. And I'd say, really, we've only been in the environment where people can see a tangible benefit from engagement on social media for business for probably the last two or three years. Um, so it's still a matter of the, the kinks still being worked out, people understanding what can and can't be done to try and exert any practical control. 
And we've all seen the Twitter accounts and the other social media accounts that have also been hacked or, you know, you've had a disgruntled employee. The famous one in the UK was the HMV one, wasn't it? You remember that one? When that one... Yes, uh, and, and that really is a, an excellent example of um, why you can't just um, have a, a vague indicator of, oh, we need to engage on social media and not really thinking about it. And I think in that instance, what happened is probably someone in marketing had said, we should be on Twitter. Go away and do it. Let's find who's who's in the office below the age of, of 25. Ah, oh, you, yes, you're on work experience. You can do it. So you could tell it was just something, you know, a, probably the person who was in charge of marketing had no clue how it worked, but just knew they needed to be on it. Um, and in this instance, uh, and I'd encourage everyone just to uh, to Google HMV Twitter, um, and you'll find dozens of screenshots of this, uh, and you'll then see exactly what happened. Because um, HMV, when it went into administration, uh, they ended up making about a third of the workforce in their head office, um, big, big tower block in the southeast, redundant. And uh, the person who was running the Twitter account was one of those people that was being made redundant. And they ended up doing a sort of live Twitter update of developments in the office as everyone dealt with the uh, fallout of the fact that they all just uh, received their P45s. And um, the impact was that they sort of started giving out these uh, live updates saying how awful it was that, you know, certain people were being kept on while other people who loved the brand were being made redundant. Uh, and then the real gem was that uh, they referred to... Um, Speech marks just heard the marketing director saying, how do I close down Twitter? Close speech marks. And um, the answer to that question is, well, you're the marketing director. You should really have known you're the login and password for your social media account. Um, but in this instance, um, I don't think the marketing director even knew who it was who was running the account and providing the updates. And if they'd had a clear social media policy in place, you know, that showed um, who was in control of the accounts, uh, they that wouldn't have been an issue. You know, he wouldn't have been walking around asking that question. He would have known. Um, and by the same token, if he'd made it clear, well, in this instance, if you've got an employee who's going to uh, potentially turn around and then um, put that content on there, would they have listened to a policy that said, you know, be careful of being discriminatory on a, any grounds of um, race, gender, or disability, or mentioning politics? Though, I mean, those are the sorts of things you'd tend to say you shouldn't really refer to on a corporate social media account. Um, but in this instance, would they have listened to that? Questionable. But certainly they shouldn't have turned around and been making redundant the person in control of the account and then leaving them in the control of the account on that day. Um, that also runs around to another issue where, I mean, we are very often advise our clients that if you are going to be making people redundant or they hand in their notice, businesses in this country are still very much focused on, well, let's, you know, squeeze them and get the full three months notice out. But sometimes it's best just to say, you know what? You've resigned. Thanks very much. You may as well go now because the damage that can then be caused by that person staying in the office can be far greater, as HMV certainly found on that occasion. It would have been just best, just better to say, thanks very much. You know we're in difficulty. Here's your P45 and your severance package will be in the post. It would have been a much better way to do it rather than people milling around an office yeah. dealing with the fallout and putting it all out on Twitter. And I mean, for the, for the guys listening out there in the States or across Europe or across... Uh, Asia or wherever you are in the world, HMV in the UK wasn't an insignificant business, was it? It was in the hundreds of millions at one point, turnover-wise. And it was a very big high street brand. And you think that level of discord between what that brand is and the business is versus the the theory that the marketing director didn't know how to shut Twitter down, that's a huge discord, isn't it? You wouldn't mm. imagine that a business of that type would have been left in that position. 
I, I hate to say it's probably an example of one of the reasons why they ended up struggling. I mean, unfortunately, HMV, which with its market of um, uh, selling uh, DVDs and CDs, was clearly sort of being left behind a little bit by the digital revolution and was failing to uh, reflect that. Um, and so consequently, the people who are using it, you've got the Asian demographic, your sales full, et cetera. And it's almost like this issue of social media typified the reason why the business as a whole had struggled. Um and that you know, obviously, then doesn't look very good for them when a business that's, um, is is going through difficulties ends up broadcasting to sixty thousand plus followers um, that they don't have control over their own social media account. So so damaging, isn't it? And actually, that leads me on to a, a point that I wanted to pick up on, which is the culture side of things, mm. because in a business, and especially a smaller business. Um, or a business where the teams are so tight knit. So yes, HMV, for example, was a, a great big business, but the social media team, the marketing team, you think are relatively tight knit. And regardless of whether it's that kind of tight knit community or this small business, the culture is always an issue because you kind of, you almost approach, if you're not careful, social media is this thing that almost doesn't matter. You know, everyone's on it, but as a small business, how do you create a culture of respect for the corporate social media, you know, people dislike the word corporate, people dislike that kind of, what they see as this kind of bureaucracy, but it's not bureaucracy, it just needs to be there, that level of respect between this is what I do and this is what the company does and how that is portrayed online. Is that something that in your experience, the lines are kind of blurred on that or are you seeing more and more businesses really making a distinction between, well, this is the corporate social media tone of voice? Um. Unfortunately, I don't think enough businesses are thinking about that before they go on. So it, I think still very often it is the fact that they've got the junior employee. You go on Twitter. They're not actually saying, we want you to be talking about these products and services. They aren't saying, for example, where we just talked to men about the, the basic guidelines, you know, don't say anything that could be construed that could be inflammatory. I mean, you, you don't have to go spend much time on Twitter to see that there are some people who will pick an argument in an empty room very easily. You don't particularly want to be putting anything on there that can inflame anything in any way, shape, or form. How about actually giving some training to the employee to make it clear, don't do anything like that, and if anyone does try and engage you, don't rise to it, um, just as a basic. Um, whereas, unfortunately, as I say, it's very often just, oh, we need to be on there without actually thinking about, well, what message are you going to put out there? Actually building a campaign around it. Oh, if you're going to do an event, you know, building anticipation through social media is still something that isn't considered enough um and then sometimes then people it's almost like an afterthought it's like well yes we're on social media and we've got a few thousand followers but we aren't really sure what we're doing with them and how um, engaged they are um and we're just broadcasting to them with a megaphone rather than actually engaging with them yeah i think that's really key isn't it that kind of from a marketing perspective it's really key to have that in mind and that you know we see so many businesses you know likewise who have no real guidelines on necessarily okay you can if you want to post this really as you then fine you know but we need you to say that your account is not representative of the company mm. and you are seeing that more and more every now and again perhaps yeah. for every one in 15 profiles that you see you get the old these views are my own on my personal account and not yes. necessarily the views of my employer is that is that something that would fit into a social policy as well actually making employees consider their own profiles yes it needs to be considered very, very carefully. And it, unfortunately, it does, you referred there to the classic thing, you know, views and opinions expressed on here on my own and not those of my employer. 
To which you think, oh, well, that makes it all right then. Yes, you can say something really inflammatory on here, and obviously your employer will be perfectly fine with it. Um, when that isn't really the case. And um, I have heard of um, employees finding themselves in very, very hot water in relation to things that they've put out on their personal social media accounts because ultimately whether it says, oh, of course, this is my opinions and uh, you know, my opinions only and not those of my employer, doesn't really get around the fact if you put something that's fairly reprehensible on there. Um, there was one trainee accountant that ended up um, on her way to work, crashed into a cyclist and rather than stopping to help the cyclist, um, you know, carried on in her car, tweeted about it saying, oh, you know, I've just knocked a cyclist over. Um, he doesn't even pay road tax. It's my right of way anyway. Um, trainee accountant, this then goes viral. So again, um, uh, if anyone's interested in it, if you probably just uh, uh, Google uh, trainee, <laughs> trainee accountant cyclist, you'll find tweets of this and plenty of screenshots and content on certainly the Daily Mail and a few other uh, newspapers. And that kind of typified, I mean, this, this person lost their job over this because then the police got involved. They said, if you're in an accident, you really should report it. They then looked back through a Twitter history and found that there was an example of a speedometer at 95 miles an hour. And if you've taken a photo of that and tweeted it, it means you were do it driving one-handed as well. Um, so it, whether you put on the disclaimer, oh, this is me and not that, that doesn't really help in that instance. Um, similar thing, I recently heard of an employee at one of the big four banks. Um, banks are very sensitive about social media because they know they aren't the most popular individuals anyway. This is one of the big four UK banks, very, very careful when it comes to um, talking about um, what happens in its business online and very, very careful about what its employees do. They had an employee who on Facebook turned around and then... Uh, made a comment about a colleague in the branch being off sick. Oh, really disappointed so-and-so's off. It's difficult this week anyway, and now it's going to be even more difficult, all hands to the pump, that sort of thing. Not, nothing nasty, just sort of saying, but certainly reflecting what's happening in the branch. And the person who was being talked about who was off sick didn't like this and complained to management. Management then investigate. And this person's then gone through, and I, I certainly know that the promotion and various other things they were in line to receive didn't happen. And then sort of now literally on sort of final written warning, all through a fairly innocuous comment on social media. Now, that's one of the big four banks that have looked at this. They do have a social media policy in place, and it's certainly quite a draconian one. But you've got to ask, do the employees understand properly the implications of this? Um, so we certainly always say to, to our employer, uh, to our clients, look at, if you're going to have a policy, we'll make sure it's the right one for you, make sure it works, but you've got to make sure people understand it. That isn't just half an hour of death by PowerPoint, put a signature on a form um, and walk, oh yes, I understood that. No, it's got to be decent interactive training where people can see and understand and touch and feel and see exactly what the policy is, why it's being done, not just some, you know, a great big hammer from on high that will hit you on the head should you say something that you may or may not be right, but you understand why that control is there, not just for the employer, but for you. And if you understand that, well, you then won't end up talking about stuff that you shouldn't. Um, and in this instance, uh, that wasn't understood. But it certainly highlights that risk of people then engaging on social media when they shouldn't. And I mean, obviously, for a bank, it's important. Say you work in a law firm where there's confidentiality issues or an accountant or professional things where you don't particularly want the business of that office being talked about online. You better make it clear to your staff. Don't don't think they'll just understand it via osmosis. You know, <laughs> it's always the key thing. I think that's so amazing that, as you say, such an innocuous, you know, theoretically low impact comment has such an impact on that not only the individual, but now that's that bank is now the example of something that's gone wrong on social mm. media, which is 
again, for the brand in an age of transparency, in an age of honesty, in the age where brands are so accountable for every piece of communication that's out there. Yes. I absolutely understand now that, you know, you, look, you can't, well, to pitch it the other way, you are always represented by proxy of your employees, regardless of whether they say it's representative of the employers or not. Exactly. You can't get away from that, can you? That's, yeah. that's really, really vital. And it also shows that then your, your, empl- your internal grievance processes, all this stuff that you'd expect to adhere to if you're working face-to-face in an office, applies just as much in the sphere of social media, outside the office, over a weekend of an evening, whatever, if you've then got two employees talking, which is exactly what happened there. And it's just that it's taking quite a radical step from what you would have for years imagined was the case when you go in, you have your training, here's your contract, here's your handbook and what you follow. You tend to think, right, five o'clock, I've walked out the door, I can forget about that now. But no, it applies 24-7 when you're online, when you're using social media. That's a really interesting point, actually, that it does apply because, of course, it does. Why would it not? We don't stop social media at 5 p.m. as much as, mm. much as we'd love to. But, you know, we are on there. And actually, the peak of it is probably 7, 8 p.m. at night. So there's much more risk of it happening then, isn't there? Yes. How scary yeah. for an employer. And actually, that brings us on to the uh, now famous, I am gonna, I'm keeping telling people this is the now famous Excellence Expected <laughs> Actionable Takeaways section. So, Peter, I know you've put some time into three actionable ways that small businesses can start to really understand and implement some of this social media ownership within their business. So what do we got for the listeners this week, sir? Um, it's, well, I'll try and keep this down to three, but they might, there might be sub points, <laughs> as it were, which, which have actually come to me while we've been talking. Okay. Um, because my first point was just to say, have a social media policy, um, which you, I'm sure listeners out there are thinking, well, yeah, fine, well, what goes in it? Well, a couple of subheadings in terms of what that policy should cover. Who's going to be running your corporate social media account? What do you want them to be saying on that? When are they going to be operating it? Is that going to be between the hours of nine till five? What device is it going to be operated on? We heard of an uh, individual who was wanting to update the corporate social media account, and rather than do it on the desktop at work, they thought it's easier for me to do this on my mobile device. So they put it onto their uh, phone. They end up then um, going home at the weekend, the phone does not have any form of password or um, security on it, which is the same as about 40% of, part of phones in the UK. So then a friend picks up the phone at the weekend, thinks, oh, I'll send a silly tweet, sends it out. Um, this goes out to a couple of thousand corporate followers. The employee goes back to work on Monday morning and is dismissed because they were still on their probation period. Wow. Now, what a tragedy for the employee. What a tragedy for the employer, because they'd never even thought to say, this is how we want you to update the social media account. Again, it was the typical thing, oh, you're young, you've just come out from university, you'll know how social media works, you go and use it. Um, so have, think about things like that. Think about how, how, when and where do you want that account to be updated. Think as well about security. Twitter now allows for you to have two-factor identification on your account. Um, you, uh, Burger King had their um, social media account hacked, Twitter, um, and someone went and put up, you know, wallpaper on, on the background of a big golden arches, you know, uh, and started talking about nuggets and things, which you wouldn't expect to see on Burger King. Um, but it typifies the fact that if you've got, you know, if your login is at Burger King and someone's put password one as the password, which is still frighteningly the most popular password in the world, um, it's going to get hacked. Or if it's just a generic, you know, fairly something easy to hack, and there are freely available password programs out there that are designed to hack things far more sophisticated than small Twitter handle logins. So therefore, you know, use two-factor identification that involves then a text message being sent to a device, which will then give a unique code that is valid for a finite period. 
gives you that reassurance of knowing that then the right person is logging in rather than it being hacked, damaged, lost, etc. So certainly think about those things in your policy. Second point, have that policy enshrined in your staff handbook and also referred to in your employment contracts. That way, even if you end up updating the policy in the handbook, um, the contract will still be valid if it just refers to under social media, refer to paragraphs X to Y within our handbook. That way you can then ensure that you've got an element of control and if need be, you can fall back on the benefit of a restrictive covenant should an employee try and either take your um, social media account um, or indeed if, if they end up sort of saying things on social media about you that you'd rather they didn't, um, you can have that element of control if it's clear um, in the documentation. This is something that will have to be reviewed as well, because if I was, if we were having this podcast two years ago, we would be talking about Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, you know, we're also talking about the world where there's Snapchat, there's WhatsApp, there's Instagram, there's Pinterest, there's, you know, businesses are engaging our social media in a variety of different ways. Uh, and there is just as much risk um, along the time that we've talked about with those as there is with your more traditional uh, networks. Uh, so... While that will always evolve, and while your social media policy should be updated probably every six months, <laughs> given the technological rate of progress, wow. you can then make sure that your contract is referring, and that doesn't have to be changed every six months because it's just referring to then the handbook that does evolve. After all this is said and done, you've then got to make sure, and this is point three, make sure that that contract and those policies is referred to in some good quality training. That shouldn't be, as I said earlier, death by PowerPoint. It's got to be something a little bit more interactive. It could include um, films. It could include a reason why to explain why the social media policy is the way it is, why it's important to the business, what the business is trying to say on social media, why it's important, how much, for example, of the business's trade comes from what it does on social media, which is why it's therefore important. Um, you know, a business like Apple uh, has um, incredibly strict rules on how social media should be referred to um, by its employees. One of their employees, you can look at this case, it's called um, Mr. Crisp versus uh, Apple. He went to the employment tribunal uh, because he was fired when he turned around uh, and on his private Facebook account, which he did have it locked, but he was saying, you know, oh, I, I work at Apple and I don't like their products and um, uh, I don't like this and I don't like that and this is the reason why. So he's one of the guys who works in the shop, being all nice in the shop in the, uh, then in the evening, saying all this stuff online. Um, he was friends with an employee who then passes that on, the same shop who then passes that on to the manager. So he's dismissed. This guy claimed that on, then when he went to the employment tribunal, he even tried to use European law, um, European Convention on Human Rights, to say that I have the right to freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And in this instance, the tribunal said, um, not as far as Apple's concerned, you don't. You signed the contract, you had the training. It is made quite clear how important social media and brand awareness is for a business like Apple. So you were fully aware that what you were doing was going against what that policy was and damaging the brand. Apple had done its homework there. Obviously, uh, most businesses don't have the millions to put into all this that Apple does, but it gives you an idea that if you've got a policy and you are trying to implement it and you make every effort to try and do that within reason, an employment tribunal will be with you. And more than likely then you'll be able to keep the level of control that you want. And that, as I say, comes back to training and awareness. You know, if the employees are fully aware of exactly what they are expected to be doing and not expected to be doing, well, that's more reassuring for everyone. 
That's really important. I mean, those three tips there, if you follow those verbatim and you go ahead and you create that social media policy, you embed that into not only your handbooks and your contracts, but actually you embed that into your culture via some quality training. As you said then, you know, any employment tribunal will have your back really because you are covered, aren't you? Which I think is vital. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. That's that's the real crux of this conversation is how can you guys out there protect your business and your brand from errant social media? So that's really powerful. Thank you very much, sir. Really good. Just before we, uh, we wrap up for the day then tell the guys out there listening where they can find you online. Uh, yes, you can find our website at www.digitallawuk, all one word, .com. Um, I'm also on Twitter at digital law UK. Uh, and we're also on uh, Facebook, which is, uh, Facebook forward slash Digital Law UK. So we're on most of the <laughs> social media networks. If you happen to work at Google or on Google Plus, if you happen to use that in a, any big way as well. So uh, we'd love to engage with you on there. Um, and we also have a regular blog on the uh, website, which covers issues like those we've just talked about here and loads of other things as well. So um, please do feel free to engage on there and uh, leave us a few comments. We'd love to hear your thoughts. That's right, guys. Check it out. And I, I know Peter's blog personally is a, it's a very good blog. The content's really interesting. It's so specific that you actually get something out of every article that you put on there, Pete. So that, that I would highly recommend that to anyone listening out there. So once again, sir, thank you very much. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Good. Pleasure. And uh, for you guys listening out there, all of those um, HMV cases, the recruitment firm, the trainee accountant, Mr. Crisp versus Apple, I'll be sure, of course, to put those examples and links to those in the show notes that you can find over on excellence-expected.com. And as ever, whilst you're over there, if you haven't already, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, don't forget you can pick up pick up a copy of my free ebook, The Essential 14-Day Guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. Until next time, guys, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.